Welcome to the Fifth Trooper Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fifth Trooper Podcast. My name is Jay Shalansky and my co-host is Evan Bolris. Hey, how's it going? Well, Evan, it's going amazing. So we are on season two, episode three, which is super exciting. How you feel? New year, new me. Hey, awesome. Uh, We've gotten to talk to, you know, it's funny because all these, uh, a lot of these folks we're we're talking to are either people I've uh, met along the road or, uh, uh, you know, I I see at these conventions. So it's, it's cool that I actually get to connect with them in like a, uh, I guess, a more professional form. Yeah. Right? Before it was just me like, hey, man, I really like your game and I see you at every show. So we might as well become like at least acquaintance friends. Right. Like, yeah, uh, now it's actually like, hey, you know, do you want to talk to us in a uh, uh, do you want to like <laughs> semi-professional? Yeah. Thing. Right. Like, you know, it's, it went from like, hey, man, uh, do you want an energy drink? I have extra to like, you know, tell me about, uh, you know, uh, bolt action. Right. So it's just right. pretty cool. Yeah, and so um, we're just going to do a little talking about what's going on with us and the network, and then we actually have a couple of guys, Brian and Aaron from Anvilate Games coming on, and uh, really excited to talk to them and what they've got going on. And uh, yeah, so you know we're still going down our path here, which has been amazing, and I mean, quite honestly, has rejuvenated me um, just hearing and talking to new people and about like their experiences with gaming and stuff. And it's just been incredible so far. It's just fun, man. Like I, so right. I still love Legion. I still have all my stuff, yeah. but uh, it's, it's, I've gotten in the town. We, I started playing in, it was Warhammer or nothing. Uh, so I bought into Warhammer and ninth is around the corner. Ninth is coming out like shortly. Right. Uh, that yeah. was just announced. So I'm actually maybe looking back into that um like playing that in somewhat of a competitive form but I, I liked it but i'm like man i really wish there were other games and then i started going to these conventions and i'm seeing like I'm like oh what's uh you know what's dust tactics what's uh right you know like uh, um bolt action what are all i didn't realize these all existed and then turns out there's actually you know big communities out there they're just not here they're <laughs> just like not in syracuse uh so it's it's cool that uh um i'm actually getting to talk to these guys and uh just to kind of exposing you to the games i wish i'd known about uh before like i bought in heavy to uh warhammer i mean legion turned out cool because i like star wars right yeah, like that yeah, kind of yeah. just that worked out pretty good but uh like let's say legion didn't come out like you can there's like just the stuff we've been yeah i mean heck even uh cruel seas like right. uh from warlords like this boat game like that sounds cool man like yeah. oak and iron like you know it's yeah. all really cool stuff um, yeah, and so it's it's interesting because I feel like this is an extension of what we've been doing this whole time, which is just talking to interesting people about interesting things. Just before it was more in the the bubble of Legion, and now you know we're kind of expanding a little bit. Um, but to that end, um, if for those of you who haven't seen it, if you're still listening to us, hoping that we'll talk about Legion again someday, uh, which we may. Um, Scoundrels actually released a new episode uh, this week. They are in their first episode of season two. And what they're doing is they're going to kind of fill some of the gaps that we're leaving behind. So if you hadn't listened to Scoundrels before because they were too high competitive for you, um, Zach uh, Barry, who's actually Thrawn from the Discord, has joined up with them as their fourth. And they're going to start doing more middle of the road kind of conversations about legion with a little bit of competitive 
you know, spiced in there here and there, but they're really going to try to talk more about hobbying and, and building fun lists and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I highly recommend checking them out. Um, for those of you that are Patreon members uh, and you subscribe because you wanted Legion, well, let me tell you, we got some amazing Patreon rewards coming up in the month of June for Legion uh, that will have special surge tokens um, and special victory counter tokens. So this one I'll spoil. It's actually going to be the the scoundrels new logo icon so they got a new logo they got a new look and we're going to be given victory tokens out for legion and surge tokens which i'm really excited about um for those of you that have been ordering with us the legion order tokens that have been on back order they should be in in the next couple days we'll get those packed up and out to you and then i also wanted to let you know that we're going to be doing x-wing mats we got four new x-wing designs that we'll be launching this week for pre-order we're also going to be doing water-based mats three by three for like oak and iron cruel seas or uh what was the what's the plain one there evan oh uh blood red skies blood red skies or so you know maybe over the pacific or something right yeah or you could get them for legion for a skirmish game where and you build up like a genosis or something oh yeah um, that's actually really cool i didn't think of that yeah right and put terrain on top of it so there's a lot of options those will be up this uh this week sometime for pre-orders so check those out uh i'm trying to think there was something else i wanted to talk about but i can't think of it right now evan what do you got anything uh, you want to talk about no man it's uh i'm just happy to you know uh be branching out a little bit um i've got so I've had it in my head to do a, a couple of video reviews coming up. I didn't realize how much work oh, yeah. they would be causing me. And so the problem is like I've I've re rewrote and re talked over uh content like five or six times now. And I <laughs> and it's it's like because it's I want it to be the way I want it to be. I know that sounds weird when I say it like that. But yeah. uh like Listening to myself, I'm like, oh, this guy sounds like a bore. And then I do too high energy, and I'm like, oh, now I'm just screaming at people. So it's, uh, it's it'll be out somewhat soon. Um, I'm hoping within this week, uh, probably this weekend, I'll get more time to finish it off. But uh, no, you know, honestly, uh, cheers off to anybody who who does video reviews of stuff because the amount of work it takes to get it just the way they like it, um, yeah. right? Like take like a look at like the internet historian, like his his videos are. Uh, yeah. They're, even though they're just comedy and like you know different things he talks about like the it looks so simple but the amount of work that is is actually pretty <laughs> astronomical to get it that perfect for how he does stuff so i really yeah, have I uh, mean, a grown appreciation for that kind of thing well that was like uh that fifth trooper spoiled we did one video so far but i really want to bring that back for some of these other games that we're talking about and in the future if we get a hold of other games um early but I mean, look at the, we put a ton of production into that. I built you a whole uh, <laughs> hand puppet stage, right? Like, yeah. so there's, you know, yeah, I get it, man. It's, but we just wanted you to know that, you know, for the listener, we're bringing you all kinds of different content, but if you're still just want Legion, Scoundrels is still there. They're going to be moving more towards the middle. Our YouTube channel still going to be having uh some some great legion content on it and so and our blog of course will always have legion right so mm -hmm. just you know check that stuff out but you know hopefully maybe you could join us for this little journey that we're going on and and uh we're excited to have you and don't fear we're still making mats and tokens and all kinds of legion accessories we'll still be doing that plus now that we're getting into new games we'll start making accessories for those as well um 
but yeah, so without further ado, let's let's go talk to uh, Brian and Aaron. All right, and we are here with Aaron and Brian from Anvil 8 Games. How's it going, guys? Really well, thank you. Um, so why don't why don't we start with uh, we'll start with Brian if you want to kind of tell us what you do over at Anvil 8 Games. What's your what's your title? What's what's your favorite color? You know oh, any yeah. of that? <laughs> yeah. I'm Brian from Anvil 8 Games. I'm I'm a Sagittarius. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and blue blue is my favorite color. No, I, I am uh, the director of Anvil 8 Games, um, which kind of means in our kind of small company way that I, I get the pleasure of wearing every hat at some point or another. Yep. Um, you know, some days I'm the guy running to the post office and some days I'm the guy that gets to talk to artists, you know, and uh, uh, do that stuff and sculptors and, and, and that kind of carry on. And, and yeah, and all the day-to-day stuff with the conventions. And so, yeah, that's me. All right, Aaron, how about you? Well, my favorite color is orange because I'm not totally cliche like Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Also probably not a Sagittarius. (laughs) No, no, I'm a Capricorn. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I am a game designer at Anvil 8, um, and I I work with Brian all the time and bother him about every single question I have. So he is basically on speed dial for me. Uh, but yeah, I just work on um, creating new games, playtesting, editing games, and sometimes doing random assorted other things like uploading things to drive through RPG. Nice. Um, so for those of you out there in the world who aren't familiar with Anvil 8 games, uh, you guys really have Right now, three games out there, uh, Ethereum, uh, Ethereum, the role-playing game, and then Frontline, No Comrades. And so I think today we'd like to talk probably about Ethereum and then the role-playing game as well and just kind of cross into those two. Um, but like what I, what I wanted to start with, before we even know about the game, how did you guys start uh, with Ethereum? Like what was kind of the spark for the flame? Uh, yeah, so that was that was me. Um, I used to be an English teacher uh, before I was doing this full time, and um, I was uh, not to try and like favorably compare myself to to J.R.R. Tolkien or anything like that. But I was I was teaching a class on dystopian literature, and I was sitting in an exam actually, and bored out of my skull, like genuinely, and. Um, part of one of the classes, one of the books that I was teaching was um, William Gibson's Neuromancer. And uh, I, you know, I've been a hobbyist for a long time and I just started thinking about what it would take to, to build a game based in a, in a cyber reality um, and started kind of, kind of slowly, but surely kind of drawing out the factions. Um, what's interesting um, is that actually the fourth, fourth faction that we, uh, yeah, fourth faction that we released uh, uh, was the first one that I wrote for for the game. Oh, cool! For, okay. for the world, so um, we'd kind of written. I'd kind of written out in the you know the kind of periphery of the world, um, and then as we were making the game, realized that we had to drop back in and kind of establish the core first before we could get to the frontier. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was that was what started. I'm huge, still a huge fan of William Gibson. I uh, love his work. So that's awesome. So did you? So when. You started to think about this. Um, was it something that you were 
you were like, okay, this is what I want to do. I know some people that maybe could help me with this. Or did you uh, have to kind of blindly trek into this world? I, I did know a couple of people. So I, I Adepticon, um, the convention here near Chicago, it's in Schaumburg now. I've been helping out there uh, with some of their events. Um, and and that kind of grew into me kind of creating new events. And, and that kind of then blossomed into me working kind of freelance, for, uh, doing some editorial work for a local, a local game company here in Chicago. Um, so I, I kind of made that kind of trajectory into the gaming world or the gaming industry through the convention. Um, but kind of had it in the back of my head really the whole time that, you know, maybe this is something that I could do. Maybe this is something that would happen. Um, but, you know, even with that, it was still very much a case of me um, blindly fumbling through all <laughs> kinds of things. I, I can't pretend like it, it, it's ever gone smoothly. It's always been um, an adventure, um, which is part of what it's all about. You know, I, I feel like I learned something new all the time on this job. Yeah, it's yeah. I think the the gaming industry uh, kind of allows for that too, where there's always it always seems like there's somebody that knows a secret about you know how to develop or get it out, and then but they're very willing to kind of share it with you, and they're like, okay, well, this was my secret, and this is how I got my game out. It may work for you, but it may not. Um, Absolutely. Aaron, Aaron is that guy for me in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, <laughs> so I, I met Aaron also at conventions, but I, I won't speak for you, Aaron. So maybe <laughs> I, it's, it's totally cool if you speak for me. I don't mind. Okay, um, so what Aaron was about to say. <laughs> that, uh, no, sorry. I was actually thinking it could be amusing if we just introduced each other. Just like, what, what would Brian say about me? Um, but uh, no, yeah, I... Uh, have been going to conventions because I've been um, professionally designing games for almost seven years now. Um, and I joined up with Anvil 8, what, two years ago? I don't know. Time time is totally warped with uh, COVID. Not so sure. I, th I think two years ago, but it's I don't know how much time has passed recently. So yeah, Two to two and a half. We're somewhere in that window. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I basically just uh, met them at conventions. And uh, I really liked what Ethereum was doing. I liked uh, the ways it was different. Um, and I admittedly have some of those tendencies to want to do things differently because... I want to be different. And so there was an initial attraction there. Um, and I liked the way it all came together with the world and everything like that. So I uh, met up with them. And then after some amount of time, um, I, I changed uh, sort of my my job to go over to Anvil 8. And I've been with them and sort of happily plugging away at games ever since. Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, Brian, how how for you was it kind of choosing talent or, you know, deciding someone like Aaron would be a good fit for your vision, right? Because I, I, from what I'm understanding and hearing is that you had this vision, you kind of had this thought, you started writing out the factions and the world building and all this stuff. But then to have someone external kind of come on and start writing or building or doing artwork even right for the game um how was that for you kind of transitioning to that yeah that that was a process as well I, um starting with the artwork so that's that's kind of 
I, you know, I initially kind of pulled some of the team together from the, like the Adepticon crowd, from the local Chicago crowd. Um, and that's how we, we started. Uh, when I started talking to artists, that was a really interesting thing. There was there one artist in particular, David Nash, David Auden Nash, who has done a lot of the work that you've seen in Ethereum. Um, you know, I, I would write him these like tomes, these emails that just went on for ages about what the world was and like, you know, what things should look like and what was possible and what was not possible. And so for like the first year he was, he was painting stuff for us. He was doing, you know, I was sending him that kind of stuff. And then, you know, by the, like the last most recent stuff he's done uh, for like the wardens and things like that, I, I just say like, okay, there's a monk and he uh, is in robes and kind of looks pissed, you know, <laughs> and, and Dave's like, yeah, got it. Okay. And then he sends back masterpieces, you know, so that, that was, that's been really interesting. Um, as far as, as far as uh, connecting with Aaron, it's interesting. I, I guess, you know, it's been over five years now, I guess, what, eight years total almost uh, since we first start when I first started writing for this stuff. Um, <clears throat> I, I think increasingly, I've learned that I just want to work with people that are good people. Um, you know, we, we tried early on to work with some people that we, you know, we weren't really sure, but, um, but seemed to have, you know, kind of good credentials or whatever. And, and it's just never worked out. I think for the amount of time that we, that we spend, you know, Aaron was joking about being on speed dial. It's totally not a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to really enjoy the person's company. You have to like and respect them and, and um, have that kind of thing going. And, and that's definitely, you know, my, my esteem for Aaron was that, you know, he came obviously with, with chops. He came with the credentials that I know a number of the games that he's made and written for. Um, and uh, um, so I knew that he was capable in that sense, but just the, the kind of uh, other part of it, I suppose, was the, the kind of intangible part was that knowing that I, or, or feeling that I could, I could, that we could work together very well yeah yeah it matters a lot there you're actually i don't think that people always fully appreciate the ways that like you can sort of feel under siege when you're making games because a lot of people will not like your stuff i mean just by default there's always going to be people who like it and people who don't and some of those people really let you know um yeah. they'll let you know in person they'll let you know online they'll let you know however they want um and then you know there's always like uh, gaming is not a lucrative um there's a lot of money in gaming but that is not going to any particular person um for the most part and so you know you really there's there's definitely a camaraderie you want um you know after you've worked like 12 hours at a convention to be able to relax and be able to say whatever you want uh, with somebody yeah you know it's funny um i we've talked about this on the podcast before so a number of years ago i tried to kickstart a board game myself and i had done the playtest group at gen con for like the whole weekend i i literally didn't see gen con i was just in that playtest uh Is that the, the first exposure playtest hall or whatever yeah, yeah yeah it's not even a hall it's a room <laughs> and right. they, lock, they lock you in and they just feed people in and they come sit at your table you teach them the game they play the game and then it's like just like salt on open wounds because they're just writing truthfully about your game and you know at that time i had done everything myself and i i was so in, invested in the game that it was just like salt on the wound okay salt but um to your point like the nice thing was we were all 
kind of in that same position. So like afterwards I would go get drinks with some of the other guys that maybe had already had a game launch or, you know, we're, we're doing some successful stuff or like even the guys from like Panda games or somebody like that, you know, and they would just be like, no, it's cool, man, this happens. And um, I find that that kind of, um, and I think in any industry, right? Like that kind of like camaraderie brings you closer, you know? Oh, definitely. And, and I, yeah. And, you know, like Aaron wasn't joking. You know, we work 12 hours a day at these, at these shows between setup and restocking and, and whatever else. And, um, you know, at first Aaron was working for a different company, but I was still, you know, like you cross the aisle or whatever, I would still stop by and chat for a bit and just say like, Hey, you want to grab a you know bite afterwards? And, uh, to be able to do that, I think it, it does take something, um, particular. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's an endurance so, contest as much as anything at those conventions. It really yeah, are yeah, and and then you kind of look at everyone else and you're like, oh, you survived this too. You're like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's go, <laughs> let's go talk and share war stories. Um, a, a number of years ago, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, and there are days after a convention I feel like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. And, and that was uh, the other thing that you kind of touched on too about game design in general is that you have to have thick thick skin yeah um to, to like you said to pour your heart into something or or have an idea that you think is absolutely brilliant and then just get it stepped on uh, unceremoniously it's like oh i yeah i gotta you have to be able to take that and well and it's and it's funny because it's by everyone right and they're not even doing it on purpose they're kind of trying to help build you but like i remember you know like i did all the artwork and everything for it and then I talked to like this guy who was doing graphic design and he's like, yeah, that's never going to sell because of X, Y, and Z. And then I talked to like the, the manufacturer who I was going to have manufacture it. And they had me talk to their art department. And then they were like, well, I mean, if this is what you want to do, you know, and then, it, you know, and then you would have other developers, but I think it makes you grow. And I think sometimes, um, and, and I think you guys probably have this too. And this, a lot of this comes from like, um, you know, I, I grew up and I did studio art. I have a degree in studio art. And so like you sit around and you do a painting and you hang it up on the wall and everybody critiques it. Right. And mm -hmm. says, Oh, and I'm sure this happens in writing too, where you write someone something, you either read it out loud or other people write it and they come back and give you criticism for the most part. And so how do you know, I guess I'll ask Aaron first, how do you know as, as a game developer, when that criticism is real or when it's kind of like art and it's subjective, right? Cause you could look at a painting and I could look at a painting and you could say, I hate that. And I could say, I love it because art is subjective. So at what point from a developer standpoint, do you say, no, this is a fatal flaw or this is a subjective trait of the game? I feel like I need to just preface what I'm about to say by <laughs> I'm, saying I'm listening that I, <laughs> I majored in philosophy and I'm an existentialist, so I don't believe in objective truth anyway. So the easy answer is that you never know. You're always guessing. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll extrapolate on that uh, and basically say that there is a measure where, you know, like Brian said, you have to have thick skin. And I think it's important to have thick skin in the right places because you can't have skin sort of like this exterior layer where you don't hear the feedback. You actually yeah. need to hear it and believe it enough that you can hear what's sort of ringing true in it. 
And I think that from my perspective, there are essentially two components to knowing whether you should listen to someone on any given subject. One is experience-based, and that doesn't mean like, well, I have seven years of doing this, so I take priority over someone else. But no, I mean, if, if you have played more war games than me, and we're working on a war game, you have a lot of experience. Or if you've played that specific character more than me, you have mm -hmm. more experience. And so there's, there is an element of experience and just being able to sort of get a natural feel for whether that feels true. Um, or accurate. So I think that's part of it. And then I think the other part of it is, um, I I'm going to say like sort of your ability to read people, but I mean that in a broad sense, because the reality is not everybody's going to want your game. You can make, you know, an, a hugely successful game like Cards Against Humanity, and there are a lot of people who hate that game. Yep. And so you have to basically then say, all right, does this ring true to me? And if yes, then your follow-up question is, but do I care? And <laughs> you, you say that like, you know, is this actually my market? Because, right. you know, I, I recently playtested one of the games we're working on with people who'd never played a game like that before. And so I cared about all of their feedback. And there were some of their feedback I categorized under, well, this is a new experience for them. And so this is helpful to see how people who've never experienced this before will take it. How can I tailor it to make it better for people who are new to this type of game? And then there was part of it that was like, oh, that's a complaint because they're not likely to play this sort of game. That's right. not a complaint that, you know, if I grab somebody else who, who did that, you know, sort of game regularly would have. And so there's just, I, I think it's those two things. That's a very long-winded way to answer that question. No, I like it. So along along the lines of audience so i think when you're developing a game like this or any game in general i think you know for the most part who your audience is right while you're developing and designing but isn't there's a part of you that also wants to reach a new audience or try to expand to a to an audience so when you're developing and starting to go through that like early design process or or tweaks to a uh you know an already established game how does that factor into your decision process? Yeah, that's it's it's a very interesting question. So I am going to be very very anonymous here about something that uh, somebody that works in the industry once told me. Um, they were working on an an update to a game, and some of the players did not like that update, and they basically replied and said to me, they did not say this to them, uh, but <laughs> they they said. Um, well, that's great. And if they bought more, I would keep tailoring it to them. But they don't, <laughs> and I need people to buy the game. Um, and it's it's really interesting that that sort of uh, that sort of aspect of of it, where you're you're going after um, a specific market segment, and essentially when you want to adjust for them, um, and you know, which which elements are you going to adjust? Like, are, are we taking players from one type of game? Are we taking players from another type of game? Um, you know, where are we appealing more? Are we a skirmish game? Are we, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot that goes yeah. into it. So Brian, for you, you know, you're, you're heading to these, these uh, cons and the trade shows and stuff. If you're in the booth, 
I'm I'm expecting that you're going to passionately explain the game to me, right? Because it's your baby, right? You created this, from you know, well, parts of it, right? And so when you passionately explain it to someone, and they're like, "Nah, I'm good," and they just leave, <laughs> how do, how does that process for you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think at first I, I was a little bit more like, "Oh, you know." Um, but now, but now I, I, I think I, I just like, I'm almost like, Oh really? Cool. All right. What, so what are you, what are you playing? You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and like try and get some information about new games that are out there that I might be missing out on or something, you know, cause especially, you know, like something like Gen Con, if, if I walk like two aisles over nowadays, I've like really strayed far from the booth. Like I literally don't <laughs> leave the booth for anything, you know? Um, so I don't get to see a lot of what's out there and stuff like that. So nowadays when someone comes up and says like, yeah, no, you know, nah, I don't, I don't want to have to do that. Like, I don't want to have to roll dice, you know? Right. That, that was one of the things that when we went to Essen last year that, that yeah. someone was saying, Ooh, I yeah, the dice, like, why is it randomized? You know, and you're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't have an answer for that question. Like, if you, <laughs> you know, like if you draw a deck of cards, it's just as random in some ways, you know, like, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't take it personally. Uh, anymore and i think i think maybe at first I, I was definitely like ooh, yeah i wish i wish more people were like immediately like yes you, this is brilliant you know but we also knew i think early on uh as well with ethereum is that we were in between genres a little bit like uh you know we had a bit of the board game elements we have a bit of miniatures game elements so we knew that we were kind of drawing from different sources in the demographic so i never i never really expected all board gamers or all miniatures gamers to be like, yeah, this is for us, but knew that we were going to be taking, you know, appealing to, to segments of each. Mm. Um, and, and I think, I don't know, in a, in a weird way, it's become a lot more common now that combination, but it, it, I feel like at the time there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Um, yeah. So I guess, well, with that, why don't we, why don't you kind of explain to us, as, as well as you can and a time afforded to us, Ethereum. And maybe, you know, I guess start from the beginning where you started when you were sitting in that test and you were bored out of your mind. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, was, um, that was a moment for me. Like, I, I really just started enjoying uh, writing this world and um the idea that so if you if you don't know anything about ethereum it's a it's a cyber mindscape a little bit like matrix or tron uh in fact i mentioned william gibson so he's the guy that came up with 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 the whole like matrix and, and um the whole idea of cyberspace and all that kind of stuff you know there, there's no there there and all that um so this is back in the 80s and and um he was writing this stuff about this virtual reality and uh so that, that was the world that I was kind of diving into and, the, you know, the ideas about like, what, what does it look like for me? The initial thought was, what does it look like on the frontier of a virtual reality? Like, what are you looking into? Uh, you know, just zeros and ones like the matrix or is it something else and that kind of stuff. And um, I was just really having fun with it, just having tons and tons of fun with it and, and growing the ideas. And, um, you, you know, I found myself wanting to come back to it again and again. And then, when it came time to start to translate it, that into game design, um, I, I'll freely admit my first efforts at game design were absolutely disastrous. I, I remember, you know, talk about pulling, pulling, you know, you know, putting your heart into something. 
the first, I'd written this rule set up and, and I had some ideas about how it was all going to work. And, you know, I wanted it to be the reality to be uh, uh, malleable uh, because it's in a virtual reality um, where people, you know, the game itself takes place in that, that um, interior of the virtual world. And uh, we, we, I think we got through like uh, one turn or maybe even half a turn in a half hour. And I looked around the table and everybody's faces was just like, how do I tell him, you know, how do I tell him this is terrible? Uh, and I, and I kind of finished, you know, I said, this is terrible, isn't it? You know, and everybody, oh, thank God you said that, you know? <laughs> so, so, um, so I learned from that obviously. And, and we started to, to, to really hammer down. And I think that's, I mean, like if I ever had any advice for anybody that had a game in their head, and I think most of us do somewhere, uh, would be to get it on a table as quickly as possible and start trying to play it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because it, when it exists in your head, it's, it doesn't, yeah. I mean, that's, that's theory and, and reality are two very different things. And, um, you know, this is something that, uh, well, never mind. Uh, there was another segue there, but no, it's so well because my question. So a lead into that is like, uh, you know, Evan was definitely the expert uh, for us on the game, and I what I like to do is Evan brings these games to the podcast, and then I like to not play it until after we talk to you guys because I like to ask stupid questions that you know can <laughs> yeah. that and I you know so uh, I'm a new player and a new person, but when I was reading the description, it was kind of like, and Evan uh, earlier before we start recording kind of hit it for me. I was like, this is kind of like ready player one meets <laughs> something. And then he said that TV show reboot or yeah. yeah, reboot. Right. So it's like ready player one meets reboot. It's like this weird uh, mix of, you know, reality and virtual reality and, and inside the, you know, this, this virtual world. So at what point, during the process where did you ever question how people would connect to that? Or were you like, there's enough things like the matrix or, you know, or ready player one or stuff like that. And I, I mean the book, not the movie so much, but like that are already um, out there and people will freely accept this. Uh, For me, it was, I mean, it was more just my attachment to Gibson at first and my, my, my kind of affection for his dystopia. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, like the real trigger. Uh, I hadn't actually read Ready Player One yet when I first started doing this. Uh, oh. I, I came to that a bit a bit after. Um, um, so yeah, so it I, I was kind of yeah I was a little bit concerned that there might not be an audience for it, but on the other hand, like I kind of didn't care, and I kind of yeah. I kind of liked the fact that there wasn't. Uh, a game out there doing what we're doing. I, uh, so one of our design principles throughout has, to been, has, has been to try and not do something that's totally expected, right? So like mm-hmm. to have kind of a, a new or innovative or um, purposeful uh, design elements in our game. So in Ethereum, it's that the fact that the, you can manipulate the reality. You can literally slide these tiles around as you're playing so that if someone's standing, you know, kind of far away from you, you can spin their room around and pull it towards you or vice versa. You can, you know, pull an objective or push an enemy away and that type of stuff. Um, and that was when we struck on that mechanic and it resonated so well with what the world is. Um, I think that at that point, um, I thought, all right, I, I, I'm liking this enough that 
maybe there's a maybe there's an audience and maybe there's not but i'm i'm happy with it regardless uh, yeah yeah and that's i like that and i think that's how i think as creators right that's how people have to be is be like i'm doing this for the love of it personally and i think a lot of people the audience will follow right if you love something and you're putting it out and you have some sort of sense of good dynamic within the game and the art and the thoughts behind it then the, the audience will follow i i think I, yeah i mean that's the, that's the hope for sure yeah. yeah so aaron how was it for you jumping in uh at anvil Eight games and seeing a game like ethereum with all these mechanics that seem different and kind of um nuanced to this game uh it's 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 interesting. You know, I've been playing war games for quite a long time, and I've I cycle through the games that I play um, because I like uh, sort of interesting mechanics. I play for the mechanics more than I play for the visuals, more than I play for the world, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And um, Ethereum just does something different uh, in that, you know, every time that I'm designing a game, there's a moment where you're trying to think about what is the best medium for this game like is is this actually a board game or is this a card game is this you know like there are different ways to sort of physically manifest an idea and you get different benefits from each and one of the things that i always think about with war games is you know the the literal spacing on the table is what makes war games distinct you know there aren't um usually structured spaces in the same way and so what Ethereum did was it added those spaces back in, but in a way that allowed the table itself to be changed. And that just, it, it, it really resonated for me because I was essentially looking at a miniatures game, which is all about where's my model on the tabletop. And this game said like, yes, and the tabletop is no longer static. So the thing that is compelling, you painted all these pretty miniatures and put them out on the table, um, and now the table itself is a part of the game in a different way, in a more meaningful way. Uh, and so that that really uh, meant a lot to me and, and sort of uh, drew me over and got me talking to them. Um, and then, you know, it's one of those things that like when I talk to people about it, it's something that that resonates with a lot of people, because if you play miniatures games, the, the board doesn't change as you play. Mm. And yet, you know, there are so many times where you're like, oh, this character's too far from that objective. I guess that they just sit here now. And in Ethereum, no, I will literally rearrange the board. So it it was uh, certainly nice there, but it also means that there's um, a lot of a lot of intricacy within those rules. Um, and and not that the game is is complex, but it also means it, it essentially means that when you're like uh, designing for it or playtesting with it, uh, there are things you have to remember about the game uh, that wouldn't be true in other games. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what happens if I make a character a lot faster uh, means a different thing in Ethereum because literally the space also moves. So you can make slower characters in a different way and everything like that. It, it just changes the way you think about it. And frankly, um, when you've been doing something, the longer you've been doing it, the more you want to think in different ways. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe this is a question for Brian, but Aaron, you can interrupt him. I give you permission on our podcast to interrupt him. Uh, At what point did you know that you were going to do 
miniatures for the game versus tokens or some other, uh, you know, component? Uh, for me, that was, it was pretty important early on uh, okay. to have miniatures involved. Um, and in fact, I, I still kind of want to build out more like 3D terrain and things like that for the game. Uh, that, I kind of come from that that visual aesthetic. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the miniatures games were important to me when I was younger. And um, I still like, I just like that. I, I'm really drawn to that for sure. And um, so for me, yeah, that was, that was something that I wanted to make uh happen pretty early on we've had you know some feedback early on where someone said like why not why doesn't this just be a board game um and and uh it never really it never rang any bells for me somehow you know mm-hmm. i i think it, it could function as a board game i just think it's it's more gripping to have these models you know in existing in this world as these representations of these you know kind of digital avatars in this world um so yeah, the, the, the easy answer is, is very early on for me that miniatures were a part of it. Well, and I would say, I mean, just looking at it um, and like some of the research I did, I mean, I think it's it's kind of the evolution of board games, right? And I think we're seeing a lot of that in the industry today where it's like, okay, you have board games, we have tabletop war games, like, you know, Bolt Action or Legion or something like that. Mm. And then you kind of have a game that like yours that more sits in the middle where it's it it has these, you know, these um these board tiles that you can move around, but then it also has miniatures and it's a skirmish game. Mm. And so I think that's this is kind of that mix that I, I wonder if it brings in a wider audience to the mix because it has every, almost like pieces that anyone could enjoy. I think. I, I do. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, the, that's the idea is that's, that's the, um, what I feel is one of the appeals. I think we've, we've found that it's easier to bring miniatures gamers towards the board game elements, whereas some of the board gamers are a little bit, uh, maybe may not, I don't want to say reluctant, but, um, it takes a little bit more of a, a, a sell to get them to see, you know, the value. But, but like you said, I think the industry's changing. If you think of like what a lot of the stuff that Cool Mini's done, I mean, they've got a lot of board games that have these amazing figures that come with them. Hmm. Um, and and I think so. I think that barrier has crumbled in the last, I would say, five to ten years, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it almost seems like lately. Um, and, and this is more geared towards like Kickstarter releases is that success sometimes seems to hang on the miniatures almost, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you yeah. could have a great game, but if you didn't put miniatures in it, people are like, okay. <laughs> but then <laughs> if you put, if you're like, but it comes with this cool guy and then everyone's like, yep, click, 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 buy yeah. it all. That, the, the, the psychology, I know there's dissertations waiting to be written about, if, if about the psychology <laughs> of Kickstarter. Um, it is something I would, lo- I would love to figure out a bit more because to me, it's, it, yeah, it's befuddling sometimes. Yeah, um, it's interesting. And I think, I think that's one of the things um, a lot of times the audience loses uh, because we're playing games, quote unquote. They don't see it, this other, like the machinery behind making this game possible. Mm. And so like a lot of times there's requests or, or things that they want that they're like, well, just do it. 
(laughs) you know and it's it's just not it's still like a machine that it's got these cranks and you know and aaron i guess you could speak to this right like if there's something like the audience wants let's say in ethereum like they want a new uh they want a new faction or they want a new mechanic it's not like you can just one day walk into the office and be like well i'm putting that in the game uh you know yeah and there's a there's actually a part of game design, and I've talked about this with some fellow designers a number of times, that involves a level of like cognitive dissonance, right? Like, and and we can come back to you know randomization mechanics. I know Brian mentioned them uh, earlier, yeah. and you know at the end of the day, there are probably a lot of people who I'll just use D and D as an easy example, who would say they want critical failures out of the game. Like, that Mm. is just miserable. And yet, when you actually do it, they don't like it. I mean, obviously, some people would. But (laughs) in a general sense, there are times people ask for things they don't really want. And there are times that you have these sort of mechanics that, uh, yeah, basically, they are supporting the overall vision. And that can happen, too, with with production elements. You know, people say Mm -hmm. that they want want x y or z but they don't want to pay for it or they don't want the extra time it takes to produce it or you yeah. know i want this insanely detailed miniature but why is it breaking you're like well, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we, we yeah. had that experience because we when we first released uh ethereum we ran a kickstarter for it and at the same time there was another kickstarter for uh, miniatures something or another that was going and they were giving away like 120 miniatures for whatever, you know, like 50 bucks or something like that. And people were saying like, well, why, why am I not getting 150 miniatures for, and, and I, like my response was, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how they're doing that. Like, um, I don't know how that could possibly happen in like uh, a world that uh, obeys the same kind of rules of physics that mine does. Yeah. And, and sure enough, they, they it, it, it never happened. Well, um, yeah. And I found too, like the other thing is, um, people, I, and like, this is something we try to do on the podcast is educate people about, um, you know, I, I have a background in product management and marketing. And so, you know, I try to educate everyone on the process of, okay, great. I have this idea, but here's all the steps that it requires for mm-hmm. me to get it to your door. Mm-hmm. And I think like one of the big things is, um, people just don't equate money, uh, and cost onto anything um, in the gaming world from, from manufacturing all the way through shipping. Right. And they're like, well, why can't we get shipping for free on this game? And you're like, because it costs me $18 and 50 cents to ship it to you. And you know, the game costs me X. If I do this for free, then I make 50 cents, (laughs) you know? And it's like that, that doesn't work for us because now I can't pay Aaron. Right. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And Aaron yeah. wants to get paid. I have children. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like that was, you know, one of the things uh, we brought up, we were actually talking in relation to Legion was that when when the when the tariffs with China were happening, I, you know, I very specifically was like, you're going to see an increase on Legion miniatures. It was fun. We all had a great time because they were cheaper. But we're going to see an increase on everything just because of the tariffs coming through. And I think sometimes um, I I wonder and just thinking out loud here, I wonder going back to like one of my earlier questions is because even though it's a game and it's an end product, I wonder because it's still an art form and it's subjective that people don't tie value to it. 
There's a philosophical question for you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for you, Ed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think people attach a lot of value to it. I just don't think that they um, understand where some of those value elements come from in, in yeah. every case. And so, you know, like when when you sell something, so like our MSRP on a product, we don't see most of that. Like that doesn't right. come to us. And we have all sorts of overhead that you don't account for. Yep. And so, you know, you're like, why, is, why does this game cost so much? And like, from Brian and I's perspective, like we, when we talk about costs, like we're really going as low as we realistically think we can and still eat at night. And yep. it, it can seem like something's expensive. And then I get into these moments and I don't, I don't want to sound like bitter or attacking other companies, <laughs> but I'm like, there are companies that are charging you this and selling a million units. And when yeah. they sell a million units, they are the ones making good money. <laughs> like the the fact that our prices are comparable to theirs is is just a weirdness of the market. Like they are more profitable in like every dimension. Um, and so you know, like when you talk about you know Ambulate Games, we're sort of a uh, I don't know. Brian might might not like me saying, that, but like a boutique company, we're like this small. Like it's it's a, just a few of us. We're really passionate, and I think that we make. We, I think we punch above our weight, um, but at the end of the day, you know that doesn't mean that like I have the backing of a multi-million-dollar you know crowdfunding platform to get me wherever I want to go. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm not a fan, but so so what? I, yeah, I think that's too. Like I think there's um, this this blindness to company size. Right. And you're saying, okay, Anvilate Games, Ethereum is this beautiful game. Like I've been looking at the miniatures. They look amazing. The artwork is amazing. The board looks amazing. Like everything about it looks amazing. The website's super professional, which I can't even tell you how much I appreciate um, from, from a consumer level. And so I think you look at that and you're like, these guys are big league. You know what I mean? But really, it's just that you made a bunch of smart choices and smart decisions that got you to a quality product uh, versus, like you said, being a bazillion dollar company that's just tossing money at stuff because you know your Kickstarter is going to go off for $10 million, even if you don't deliver it on time. And so, you know, I it's interesting to me and, and hopefully, you know, we can help educate people to, to help, uh, as Aaron put it, boutique uh, developers such as yourself get these games out. And for the record, I don't object to that description at all. Okay. <laughs> that, that suits us down to the ground. That's, well, that's now it. you can't because I doubled yeah. down on yeah, it. Exactly. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll be furiously typing an email to Aaron later. Yeah. <laughs> so um, why don't we do this before we close it up? Uh, because I don't believe that we actually kind of, t we've talked around Ethereum, but we haven't specifically talked about it. So I'll let either one of you take this, but if one of you kind of wants to explain, I'm a new, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the world. What's my game experience going to look like? I'll, I'll, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll actually start with the role-playing game because there is a role-playing game and a miniatures game and they're set in the same universe. Um, if you're, if you're approaching the role-playing game, uh, your experience is um, it's malleable like the world you live in, right? Uh, the uh, Ethereum universe is 
is very flexible because it's somewhat created by our collective imagination. So when you play the gameplay experience, we focused on um, easy, basic mechanics, but the ability for players to change almost anything around them, which allows for a lot of creativity. And one of the things that I really value in role-playing games is when the mechanics don't really get in my way, and I am allowed to be proactive as a player and say, hey, maybe I can do this. And the Ethereum role-playing game is set up to allow for that. Um, the mechanics are not complex. There are not a lot of modifiers. It, they're really there to resolve critical situations and not resolve every little thing you're doing. But you have this other thing, the ability to hack the world around you and change virtually anything. Now, you can do almost anything. Obviously, the difficulty scales. But the important thing is that players have freedom to choose. And I've run this game with a lot of people at conventions. And it has, frankly, to use you know more of a commerce, it's got great turn rates, right? The number of people who show up and just love the game because they're allowed to be creative. There's not, you know, role-playing games, if you talk to GMs, there's this thing about getting to yes. And the Ethereum role-playing game is at yes all the time. It is this this virtual mindscape. Of course you can do that. Let's just see if you survive the attempt. You know, like it's that it's more on that realm. And so, you know, then players are making the decisions about what they want to do. And the GM's not telling them what they can do as much. Um, anyway, I mean, obviously there are limitations, but uh, it is a very, very open game that allows players to be creative. And so if you like role-playing games... Um, that's there for you, and it's cyberpunk in style, so uh, there's there's that too. When you jump over to the uh, war game, the sort of miniatures uh, board game hybrid, um, I think that you're in for an experience unlike many other games, if you're familiar with war games. It is a actually fairly straightforward system. I think sometimes for players, uh, the jargon um, can make them think it's more complicated than it is, but it's it's really quite straightforward. It's easy to pick up and play, and it plays fairly quickly. Um, so you can have a lot of fun thinking about what are my possible moves in a situation as opposed to, um, you know, like the complexity of what this interaction is or something like that. So when you're coming to the war game, you get the chance to experience a war game in a different way where you can think about problems with creative solutions uh, relating to like moving the tiles around or how you spend your RAM to get extra uh, CS, essentially like uh, movement points and things like that, because you have the ability to shunt, uh, I'm gonna say energy, you have the ability to shunt energy where you need it, um, hopefully when you need it, uh, depending if you've been judicious before that point in time. And so you get to uh, th you get to think not only about the game as it's playing out, but you get to think about it on a sort of higher, almost meta level too, which I think is is really nice, particularly if you're interested in strategy games and strategy games that don't take three or four hours to play out. Okay, so uh, Evan here. Hey, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, that said, uh, how do the factions differ? Like, what's their feel for them? Like, I see there's, what, one, two, three, four, five, six factions now? Um, back when I was playing it, there was four. Um, like, the the Axiom, which is the uh, more or less the, well, as explained to you, like the government, right? Yeah, they're, they're like a fascist police state. Yeah, They believe they've got a, a boot for every deck. 
Oh, so. perfect. Oh, that's what you, that's the pitch you gave to me, actually. That's why I chose them. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they were like uh, kind of um, uh, slower, but they had uh, uh, more infantry and they were tankier. That's kind of how I was looking at it from the outside. But like, how does each, like, can you give me a rough breakdown in each of the factions, like why I might want to play them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aaron, you want me to do this one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, Axiom is, is the fascist police state. Uh, they, they're all about control. Um, they like to push people around. Um, they are, yeah, like you said, rather tanky. Um, the Naname are uh, a kind of a collective of anarchist rioters. Um, they are obviously kind of antithetical to the, the, the fascist police state. They are resisting all forms of control and they see themselves as freedom fighters, but they're so reckless. It's, it's tough to know if there's actually a plan there, if they're just trying to burn it all down. Um, and they are in a lot of ways, a glass hammer. They, they've got um, some like the, the right girls, for example, that are, are really, really punchy, um, but kind of disappear when you punch them back too hard. Um, so, and they're pretty chaotic, you know, one of their, one of their, uh, avatars, the, the puppeteer, um, is all about that manipulation. You know, he can't, he literally cannot stop himself from manipulating the board in some way, every turn he activates. Um, so that, so that's, uh, the Naname, um, House of Karu are, uh, as one of the major corporations in the world, they are a group of corporate, yeah, cyber ninjas, essentially. Um, and they're the kind of Swiss army knife. They've, they've got a tool for every job. Uh, they, they don't, uh, start with a, a, um, a ton of, I guess, action points that we said that a ton of resources, but they have a, a nice store that they can kind of throw at any given problem. So when you're playing with the, the, the house of Karu, uh, you're thinking, you're definitely thinking about, uh, who you want to, who you want to give most of your resources to each turn, or what specific problem you're trying to solve each turn, um, and that's that's kind of where their gameplay is. They can be quite punchy, they can be kind of supportive, they can do all the different things. Um, it's just a question of making sure you've got the right people there at the right time. Uh, then the next faction that came out were the Resex, and they are the kind of mad scientist adventurer types. You know, the Edmund Hillarys. So they, people that go out into the frontier, go out into what we call the quantum noise, which is the kind of edge of this kind of uh, like habitable cyberspace. And they're the ones that find new places to build uh, uh, the, the virtual reality. Um, they are a little bit twitchy from having been out there for so long. Uh, they are sometimes a little bit crazy, like I think I said. Um, and th their play style is a bit more um, synergistic. They're trying to create relationships between the different models. Uh, they, they, uh, the avatars each kind of have an affinity for, for uh, different parts of the faction so that um, they're about, you know, kind of getting everything in line for that perfect play. Um, after them, the Romix. The Romix are a, uh, a, what would you call it? A uh, computer virus. A, a virus program that's been injected into the system. Uh, they, the, the people that did that, um, I won't give anything away, but that's part sure. of the storyline. People that did that um, felt that they uh, had a kill switch to, to get rid of this virus program that was weaponized during one of the great trade wars. Um, and it didn't work. Basically, it spun itself out into the, the void and um, came back in a new form. So, uh, and obviously they're quite, they're, they're the monstrous faction. If you like... If you like teeth and you know spikes and 
creatures and insects and things like that. This is definitely your faction. And they are, they interact with the, the world in a different way. They're not trying to um, control the pylons or the control points that generate resources for you. They're more trying to spread their infection wherever they can, their corruption. Uh, so their, their, their goal is to kind of infest the world more than anything else. Uh, then last year we released uh, the Wardens of Tianren. Uh, they are uh, a, a kind of spiritual faction. They they don't see the uh, they don't see Ethereum as a virtual reality so much as a, a as a new plane of existence, um, or maybe not a new plane, but like a, a part of our plane of existence, uh, a spiritual plane. And um, so essentially, they're 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 pretty pissed that people are coming in there and building like shopping malls and things like that. Because they see it as a, a, a you know a, an aspect of an enlightened consciousness, um, and so they you know they've kind of dedicated themselves to uh, the Ethereum itself, and they're, and they're on one hand, like I mentioned, kind of monks, but they're 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 warrior monks. They are definitely uh, motivated, and so at least aspects of the faction are definitely motivated about clearing people out, um, and they are really cool in the way that they interact with the world itself. Their, their kind of main thing is that the, the, the way that in which they're connected to the Ethereum is, is unique. That's pretty awesome. So uh, I'll go to Aaron first. Favorite faction? You probably have one. I do. I do. So uh, sort of thematically, it's the Wardens. Um, okay. Partially because I got to write some of the fluff. So, you know, obviously there's like <laughs> that that in there for me. Oh, sure, um, yeah. And then in gameplay, uh, probably the Resex. I enjoy um, that they like to play with the table and um, something about synergies, but not like combo win buttons, but just straight synergies makes me uh, feel like I have to try harder to win. And I like when I felt like I tried hard to win, even if I didn't actually try harder. The, the fact that I felt <laughs> like I tried harder makes me feel like, oh, you deserve this win, Aaron. And so <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I like the Resex. Okay. All right, Brian, hit me. Favorite faction? Uh, for me, it's the Naname, the, the anarchist rioters. Uh, I, I've loved them uh, from, from the word go, really. Once, uh, so Resex was, was the first faction that I wrote. Uh, then Axiom, and then Akaru. And so so technically, Naname was the fourth faction I wrote, the second faction to come out, or tied for first, I suppose. Um, but once I started digging into them, I just, I, I loved the idea that they're this, this kind of crazy force that doesn't have a center necessarily. Um, and they're like that in gameplay, where they, they, they're just kind of all over the place. And... Um, yeah, they're really, they're really wild, really unpredictable, uh, which is not like me at all in, in a lot of ways. So I don't know where that comes from, but, uh, but I really enjoy the anime for sure. So uh, I, for the oh, models, I, I have to say the wardens too are, are, I've really, I love painting the wardens. Yeah, they're uh, like, I didn't like uh, the last time I checked in with the game, uh, the virus that just came out. So to see the, okay. uh, the wardens, like I, they kind of surprised me and I'm like super in, man. I love that warrior monk <laughs> aesthetic. So, like, uh, corset. Here we come uh, for that. But like, one one last thing. Um, so we we talked about both Ethereum's. Hit me with Frontline's No Comrades. Like, what is that? It is nothing like Ethereum either. Of <laughs> uh, and by design, we we deliberately wanted to do something that was kind of off of our, uh, you know, our style. But it is it's a fast action screw your neighbor card game for two to ten players. 
Uh, and basically you play as a bunch of conscripts getting marched off to the front by the evil commissar. Um, and every round something horrible happens. Um, <laughs> and basically your job is to stay alive by having those horrible things happen to your comrades instead of you. Um, so we, we uh, Will is the guy that wrote it and he, he describes it as a group therapy session. Um, <laughs> Uh, which, which, and and I have to say, the description I just gave you, you have to see the artwork because it is actually very lighthearted. Um, when when you describe like, oh yeah, you're getting marched off to the front and you're gonna die, but you want your comrades to die instead of you, um, <laughs> that sounds so bad. I, I actually had this experience with the, uh, the the artist that did it, Quan Chai Maria, who's absolutely fantastic guy. But I was describing it to him, and I was showing him some source imagery from like 1917 and like all this Bolshevik stuff and. Uh, he, he was kind of looking at this and I was like, yeah, and it's going to be like really fun. And, and like, <laughs> like, and he was like looking at me like, you are nuts, you know, but yeah. it is, it's, it's definitely meant to be a lighthearted kind of whimsical almost, but, but still, you know, strategic uh, game. And so for listeners, if you go check out their website and look at it, like, and in, for instance, as one of the images is a bear crying, running away from a tank, it looks like. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, 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 uh, that kind of explains it in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> I say, yeah, we have a, a, a new um, uh, expansion for it that just came out uh, called Kameradenschweine. So when we went to, when we went to Essenspiel, um, we had a, a, a friend of ours, uh, and a, a kind of enthusiast do the translation for us of, of Frontline No Comrades. And he was kind of saying like, man, it doesn't really work. Like I, I've translated the words Frontline No Comrades, but it doesn't have the same like sentiment. It doesn't have the same feeling. And he's like, I was thinking about it and I was thinking about it. And I, I realized that we already have this word in German. And I was, I was like, oh, I cannot wait to hear what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently Kameradenschweine means friend pig. Uh, and it, yep. and it's the name for uh, um, the name for someone in a group who's trying to help, but actually makes things worse. Uh, and so after we struck on this. I was like, "Oh, fantastic!" So we actually made an expansion based on this uh, that's just come out. So uh, Frontline No Comrades is a whole new cast of conscripts you can play. Awesome. Cool. I actually own the base game, uh, and I didn't. I didn't know it actually had uh, the first expansion out. The uh... Uh, Ox, 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 Bears all. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that one. I picked that up a couple of years ago too. So uh, I'm actually in for some more expansions for it because we actually had a good time with it. It's uh, it's you're moving back and forth, you're playing cards to kind of manipulate your place so someone else gets hit. It's actually really fun and really quick. And actually, uh, fun quick games that you can do as like a good warm up for the game night is that's always welcome, especially when you have uh, a place ten, which is very rare to find a, a game that can play that many that's fun and quick and not werewolf. <laughs> for the most part not werewolf or like uh um like any of the spy games or anything like that so it's it's a nice change well cool um i think that's about it guys i mean thank you so much for coming on it was it was a real pleasure talking with you guys about this yeah definitely. Oh, it's great to be here thank you very much thanks for having us all right, so that was Brian and Aaron from uh, Anvil 8 Games. Their website's anvil-8spelled-out.com. And uh, I highly recommend checking it out and, and seeing uh, what those games look like. You just heard them conversate and philosophize about their games, and uh, so that was that was really great. No, Ethereum's uh, super cool. Like, Jay and I were talking before, like, Cyberpunk, the game's coming out, right? Um, yeah. And this... If this 
to me is that, but in a miniature form. And, you know, Cyberpunk's great when you want to play. Like, it's going to be great. I'm going to play through it and have a great time when it comes out. But when I'm hanging out with my friends and we all, we're all hopped up on Cyberpunk, like, Ethereum's like it, it baby, right? Like, yeah. it's literally it for me. So uh, it's, it's like, it's been out for a while. And I, I knew about their pen and paper before I knew Cyberpunk was a thing. Uh, like I didn't know like it was a pen and paper, honestly. Uh, oh, right, right, right. So this they they had my attention first, you know, with their their world they built. So I'm super, like I'm super in. It's uh, it's just cool to like get to talk to these guys. Yeah, and it was interesting, you know, when you brought it up to me as uh, someone you wanted to talk to. I did the research and I was like, like reading about him, like this is like Ready Player One. Like we're all gonna put on our goggles and go into the virtual plane now and and do whatever we want. And uh, I think that's super cool. And um, clearly they're both passionate about it. Right. And I think, I think that's always the key with anything is if you can get people who are passionate about it, then you're going to have a great game. So. And it's funny because uh, one thing I forgot to bring up in the interview, but uh, as character, like you've got your, your avatar and then some programs that run, which are your miniatures. And then when they die, um, you get to your better stuff faster. And that represents the load on the server being less. Because it has my programs running, and like, I, right? Like, I'm just so used to that as like a real IT thing. I'm like, oh yes, I can connect with this game mechanic. That makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> yes, do turn off more programs. Make the server run good. God, that's funny. Yeah, confused unga bunga noises. But uh, nah, man, it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, okay, so. We will uh, we'll catch you guys later um, next week. Uh, we will have another game developer on or designer or something exciting. And so join us next week. Uh, same bat channel, same bat place. Uh, everyone have a great week. Everyone stay rad. Join us next week for another edition of the Fifth Trooper podcast. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. 